What was your, your math job? You were a teacher? I got I did a PhD and doing geometric measure theory, published one paper in the journal Geometric Analysis on flat chains and bottom spaces, then went on, I got a postdoc, but I wasn't very good at it because I was spending all my time writing computer games. <laughs> Visit linode.com slash stackoverflow and see why Linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and TrustRadius. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable. Visit linode.com slash stackoverflow and you'll get $100 in credit. All right, y'all, you heard him. Head over there and let them know the podcast sent you. Support the show. Check out the service. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, the director of content here at Stack Overflow, and I am joined, as I often am, by my co-host and collaborator, Ryan Donovan. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Ben. Uh, What's new? Well, I love video games, but I can't say that I've played them all. And I know you had a blog post recently that did super well, got a lot of pickup and a lot of interest. It was about a video game called Dwarf Fortress. So tell us a little bit, how did that blog post come to be and who are we going to be chatting with today? So that uh, blog post came about because I've been playing Dwarf Fortress for 10, 12 years, not nearly as much as I used to. I mean, so often Mm -hmm. I tap in to see the new systems that are there. It's a marathon, not a sprint, I guess. I still still have most of the key combinations memorized, but, you know, I just sort of admired this project as as a solo developer's passion project and reach out to Tarn and he was like, sure, let's chat. Easiest interview I've ever gotten. <laughs> well, the good news is we have Tarn Adams here with us today. Tarn, welcome to hey. the show. <laughs> AKA Toady One. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the layperson, do you want to give an overview of what the game is? Yeah, Dwarf Fortress is, is sort of a, a fantasy. It's a settlement management game, right? It's it's um, you you run a group of dwarves digging into the side of a mountain, making crafts and dealing with various like Tolkien esque threats. <laughs> There's goblins, and you don't want to dig very deep. That kind of thing. The basic mechanics are: you have a bunch of dwarves sitting around, and you assign them jobs. Then they go do those jobs. the The process by which you know to decide which dwarf does which job is fiddly. That's no longer true, but it's it's it is in the current version. And they'll go off and like mine the things that you tell them to mine, build the workshops you tell them to build, and then in the workshops you create tasks. So you can say like build some tables, and of course there's whole automation systems and all that kind of thing. But the the basic idea is that you you are sort of the official will of the fortress. You create the workflow and so forth, but they're not just like your minions, right? They're not like the imps from Dungeon Keeper or something. Uh, although, I, I mean, they had, they had free time too, right? They would just kind of hang out and train and stuff or whatever, <laughs> if I recall. We just kind of just have a lot of that stuff. Like there's a lot of socialization. It's sort of, I mean, it's like mm-hmm. The Sims in that sense, I guess. There's just there's just stuff going on that's not you and there's stuff going on that is you. But it's not like The Sims where you don't have to like tell them to to eat or where to go to the bathroom and that kind of thing. They're fairly autonomous, mm-hmm. but they don't independently like make tables or work. Mm-hmm. They just kind of hang out and drink if you don't <laughs> and talk to each other and <laughs> and play with toys and live their best make life. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's sort of aspires to be a fantasy world simulator. That's kind of what we were shooting for, you know, over the last 20 years. When you start the game, you don't just kind of get plopped down into like mission one, dig into the mountain and, and make a table or whatever. It's like... 
now we are generating your world and here are, you know, uh, here's 50 years of history, 100 years of history, here's right. this giant map and here's all these civilizations sprawling all over the place. Like, what does this have to do with the game that you're playing? And we've tried to slowly make it matter more and more. <laughs> but, it, but it remains aspirational yeah. in a lot of ways. It's basically mm. a, basically just another kind of settlement game, but more more and more intricate to the point that people have a lot of really cool stories. And that's, that's, yeah. that's what we're aiming for ultimately. It's, it's kind of a, a game that you can tell stories to about sort of just any kind of mythological fantasy thing, mostly involving dwarves, uh, to your friends yeah. and uh, just have fun with it as kind of a collaborative storytelling partner. Yeah, I think I actually got into it because of uh, the first sort of big collaborative storytelling, the, the boat murdered oh, yeah. back on something awful way back in the ancient days. <laughs> yeah, that was 2007, I think. And I know we, we talked about your favorite bug uh, on the blog post, but there's another bug that I came across uh, from one of the comment threads that kind of talks about how deeply intricate this uh, this game really is. The plain packed statues. <laughs> like infinitely recursive artwork. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the uh, description I saw is that sometimes the dwarves get into strange moods and have to build something really weird and complex. And there was a statue made that contained the entire history of the world and 73 <laughs> copies of the statue itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's some some bug with, with like, you know, the, so when they, they come up with these things, the dwarf is in a workshop just like screaming, I need metal, I need this. And if you have the things available, they'll run off and get them. And it's supposed to be like four or six things, you know, <laughs> just not that many right. things. But when there's a bug with a job where it doesn't take them off or sometimes people try and intentionally set this up by forbidding certain items as they're called for and so forth. But when the the job just continues on, the game was sort of modular about it where it's like, OK, there's now a gem in the workshop. Let's add a gem improvement to the statue or whatever object they're working on. And when it adds an improvement, it can reference the history of the world, the history of the site. It can look through a list of all the objects. It's supposed to exclude the item they're working on, but sometimes things happen. And I don't remember how many items Plain Pact was. I mean, it was many, many dozens of pages, right? I mean, I don't remember. I have no idea. It I was really big. It was, like, <laughs> it was just a, amazing. I mean, they just sat there, basically babysat the creation of this thing, I guess, for as long as it was going. And they finished it too, which is which is also a miracle because you wouldn't get to see otherwise you wouldn't get to see the result. It doesn't kind of have like a partial history. It has to finish the object, and um, mm -hmm. yeah, now that's amazing in itself. So for someone who doesn't know, like you were you're sort of saying, when you get into the game, there's a ton of lore, and part of what makes it interesting is that you can create new storylines and play them collaboratively with people. But what are like the basic, you know, mechanics? If I'm familiar with Civilization or World of Warcraft or Minecraft, will I be able to drop in here and, and understand most of the basics? Well, it depends on where you're dropping in. If you're dropping in now, it'll take you a little while to understand. What we haven't said, I think, is that it's a text game, like NetHack mm -hmm. or Rogue or, <laughs> you know, one of, the, one of those sort of games. And you just have mm -hmm. a bunch of text characters running around the screen. Now, there are mods like the Lazy Noob Pack that have graphics just packed right in. So that can be overcome. And of course, we're, we're releasing the game with graphics, hopefully next mm -hmm. year. And... I mean, all the same. It, it, like, if you dropped into it now, even with the the lazy new pack, it's still it's still quite tricky to get into. So, what's going on behind the the scenes to manage that that sort of level of simulation, that level of detail? 
Well, I mean, it's it's just every every little trick that you learn when you've been programming a long time. <laughs> uh, it's it's. I mean, I have a huge, like many people, I have a huge graveyard of dead projects. And Dwarf <laughs> Fortress is the one that didn't die, right? It's it's like. Uh, I mean, I just ran them into the ground, just adding stuff, and then you just slowly learn how to manage that level of complexity. And it's just the things that you're either taught by by mentors or in school or that you pick up yourself like you know make sure you comment your code well and that kind of thing <laughs> don't use stupid variable names think about your your class structures and things ahead of time think about extensibility and all that kind of stuff and it, those are just words though right and then yeah. when you are actually doing it there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of little things to pick up. And then uh, when you have a big simulation, you have to worry about optimization, not just at the end. You have to be worrying about it all the time. And the whole thing about premature optimization doesn't mean much when you have a live project for 20 years, right? You have to be doing it all the time. Right. And um, just pick up stuff there too. When to use flags, when to use event timers, when to use dirty buffers. I use all kinds. Of, I mean, I learned that when I was doing like textures, like UV texturing stuff back in like 93 three or four. So it was like whenever those games came out, there was like immediately like a, a flood of little books that came out to teach you how to do it. And there was no like direct X or anything. You just had to manually go through every pixel and manually oh, move right. your UV coordinates. And you're like, here's fixed points. Here's how that works and so forth. Let's move these things. And it's just kind of these linear algorithms to move along these lines through the texture space or whatever. But just to make it fast, when, when you have a depth buffer, when you're having like the triangles in front of each other and stuff, you have to keep track of where things are. And depth buffers weren't free either. You had to build them. And that's just, you know, one of those, you know, zillion ideas. You just keep on plugging away. Keep squeezing yeah. 5% out of the thing every, you know, two years. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so when did this go from being like a, a part-time project, or as you said, one of many, to being sort of like a full-time thing and and the one that I guess captures most of your time and attention? Yeah. Like the, the previous one that we spent you know four years on or so was the the Armok game, which was this weird 3D monstrosity uh where we we thought, oh, you build the you build the the fantasy world simulator from the bottom up. So let's get people walking. Let's let's uh, put hair on their arms <laughs> and stuff. And it was just it was a really foolish philosophy from a from a young person. And that's what I did. It was not good. But we worked on that for a long time. We had a bunch of side projects. Uh, the ones that people may have bumped into are like Liberal Crime Squad and World War One Medic. Uh, just these kind of games that float around the internet. And uh, those were cool, and people played them and stuff. And but but you know that wasn't this wasn't a you know a commercial thing at all. And we just kind of released those after working on them for a few weeks, and then back to Armok, back to the the thing. And so we worked on this game called Mutant Miner, which is just going to be like you you run around underground grabbing teenage mutant ninja turtle mutagen, growing extra arms, digging deeper, and going back and <laughs> buying more arms and buying more more shovels to hold in those arms and all that kind of thing. That game was a train wreck, of course, and we thought, you know, we had a bunch of mutants running around eventually, and we're like, well, it would be more cool if they were dwarfs, <laughs> right? Let's put some, let's put a theme on this, and they don't need to be like slurping mutagen anymore, but they find little threats underground, right? And you're digging and finding threats underground, and it had that kind of typical problem you run into when you get more and more actors in your, or more agents or whatever in your game, where if it's turn-based, it's just going to take a zillion years, and so we made it real-time. Right. Uh, so then we had a bunch of real-time dwarves running around the side of the mountain, digging into it. And this was a game that was supposed to take a couple months to write. Our more, most ambitious side project at the time, <laughs> I mean, like like uh, World War I Medic took a weekend to write and Liberal Crime Squad, you know, we, the core of it took three weeks, although we went back to it because it was, it was 
popular. I mean, as far mm. as we could tell, popular. And um, yeah, then mm. we just had this dwarf game that siphoned more and more time out of Armok, and then it became the thing. And uh, mm. around that time in 2006, we put up a uh, when when it released well, a few months before. Actually, someone was like, "Hey, could you put up a PayPal button because it's your birthday?" <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they gave us seventy five dollars. Uh-huh. And the PayPal button just happened to be there when Dwarf Fortress came out. I mean, we, I mean, I had left my math job right around that time. I didn't even know what I was going to do, and was not really hoping that Dwarf Fortress was going to be successful. And there's, it was a text game, right? It was just not going to be not going to be successful. But we made eight hundred dollars the first month just in random PayPal donations, and it was uh-huh. kind of. I mean, this was before, was this before Kickstarter around the time? I mean, this is 2006, right? I think it was before. Yeah, yeah. it was before Kickstarter, way yeah. before Patreon, and we just kind of built that framework for ourselves this tip jar thing that a lot of people of course had done by that time but but still like the internet was there to save us basically wait like we had just barely scraping by at that time i had already kind of pulled the pulled the trigger and left my math job but they were kind enough to leave me around for another year teaching mm. and uh because it was it was a research job before and then it became a teaching job it was just nice of them uh, that was cool what was your your math job you were a teacher I got. A, I did a PhD in uh, and doing geometric measure theory. Published one paper in the journal Geometric Analysis on flat chains and bionic spaces. Then went on. I got a postdoc, but I wasn't very good at it because I was spending all my time writing computer games. And uh, <laughs> and uh, that wasn't fair to them, you know. And you think about this thing sometimes, where you're like, "Well, you took that slot from someone who worked harder at it and just." wasn't lucky to get the job right and i yeah it mm. no, it just sucks but it's like that for everything i mean i have my own yeah, yeah. so has the math the uh, phd has that informed programming of the dwarf fortress i think i think the math phd itself didn't because i'm not in like n-dimensional non-euclidean space it's tricky <laughs> but but i think having practiced a lot of math and just solved a lot of problems and generally mm. being good at math like i've taught linear algebra so that part of games is not hard for me right it's like right. uh and same thing right. with i mean calculus comes up sometimes i've used a partial differential equation once it was for like wind speed firing arrows or i don't remember what it was it was something like that uh, but it <laughs> didn't i didn't really end up needing it i mean i used it to inform what i was doing but in, in the end faster right. just to use discrete simulation and and miss a little yeah. bit <laughs> it's fine to yeah, miss I guess, do you think <laughs> is it ironic that you were uh writing a paper on geometry but you made a text-based game you did mention you had 3d graphics before then but it's hard to imagine two things farther apart. I guess. Yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, I mean, I still use the geometry. Like we have vision cones, like, like in those stealth games and use trig for that, but it still show it highlights the text in the cone, right? It's just <laughs> right. the background. <laughs> right. No, it's, it's, it's a really, it's, it, it wants to be a more graphical game in the end. And we're running out of symbols, right? I mean, what is a, what is a white G in Dwarf Fortress? Is the goblin wrestlers and a mountain goat? And those two things have very different, like gameplay implications. <laughs> <laughs> Although not so, I mean, when, yeah, no, it's not so much. I mean, a, a, da- a mountain goat's dangerous as well. Who's the we <laughs> in this? Uh, you oh yeah, yeah. Anything. So it's not, yeah, no, it's not like the royal we or anything. My brother, uh, he he uh, uh, has been working on the game with me since it started, and um, was actually able to also go fo- full time in in twenty thirteen. Like I kind of just went full time by leaving my job, and it wasn't like great decision or whatever, um, although it turned out well. And then he was able to follow like five years after. He just kind of stayed where he was. And then when we had the money, then he came out. And uh, that was that was like, gotcha. like, like you should do. <laughs> <laughs> got it, got it. I'm curious to hear, like what's an average day for you like? Do you spend time 
playing the game, reading what people are asking for, checking out the story threads that are developing, certain amount of time just coding away. Like, how do you structure a day around, yeah, this this sort of really amazing personal project that's been running for so long? I guess the the caveat now is my days are quite different now that I'm doing the uh, interface update for the, the graphical release. Because I'm not adding new stuff generally to the game, I'm. It's a lot more. Uh, I mean, it's a creative thing still. Because I mean, user experience is a whole field, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not my field, so it's like my creative chops there don't really exist. But so there's a lot more. What feels to me like drudgery because of that. I mean, it wouldn't feel that way if I were better at it. So I just spend a lot of time coding now, uh, and I can just get into a state where I'm like, well, I need to update this menu, and there goes 14 hours. And that's not how it should be, really. And that's not how it used to be quite. I didn't I didn't use to code all the time. We'd, we'd have kind of like mm-hmm. my brother and I would have discussions about things and we'd read community threads. Uh, there's a whole giant suggestions forum. People come up with the, with different ideas and have discussions uh, about things. There's this whole file depot where people upload. I mean, so there's whole community things kind of grown up around this thing, yeah. almost as if it were an open source project or something. Um and you've been very, uh, very communicative with the uh, the community, like posting updates on your coding progress almost every day, every other day. Uh, it used to be that way. Again, this is another casualty <laughs> of the graphical release. The the yeah. devlogs have have dropped off because people. I mean, I can't imagine people want to hear like I made a scroll yeah. bar today or whatever. It was fun. Right. And uh, but but no, we used to we used to talk quite a bit. Uh, and and we, yeah. there's other forms of feedback too. We do. Uh, we still do the monthly Q and A. Mm-hmm. And I answer every question. There are people come in there. We have guidelines. Like if you're just going to make a suggestion, go to the suggested form where it belongs. Make a bug report and right. go in the bug tracker where it belongs. Uh, just because it's better there, right? I mean, if you, but but if you want to ask about where things are going or what kind of concerns you have or anything really, um, then we have the future of the fortress as the the Q and A mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, usually get anywhere from like 20 to 60 questions, depending on how exciting things are. I wanted to uh, go back. You mentioned uh, open source. I read in one of the comment threads that there's a clause in your will that uh, when you pass on, the game goes open source unless it's murder. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, you can't encourage people (laughs) to do the wrong thing or they'll do it. I mean, we have that problem, right, in gaming communities and yeah. so forth. It is. It's like, you know, Excessive. It, it, it just made, it makes sense. Because, <laughs> I mean, it was basically when, when we got uh, acquired by the, the Museum of Modern Art and uh, mm-hmm. they were like, uh, it would be cool, wouldn't it? And we're like, yeah, it'd be cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they capture the dev vlogs and stuff. They just like, periodically will scoop everything in and just put it into a big Dwarf Fortress drive somewhere. You know, the, and, the, and the game is not, as far as I know, it's not all, like generally on display there. They only have so much room or whatever, but it's just kind of yeah. still in a, this giant growing box of dwarf stuff. <laughs> they they were like bemoaning that I would throw away my planning papers or whatever. Like if I was just, you know, here's what I want this to look like or whatever on this tablet. They're like, no, don't throw it away. Just keep them in a box. And so I'm like, okay. Sorry, so the museum owns it as well, or they own the rights to display it? Or how, how does that I, I'm sure I signed something that says they can run their video or whatever, but... <laughs> But no, they don't like own the game or own the the source code even in any meaningful way. We just said like, yeah, you'll we'll send you gotcha. a copy or somebody will because I won't be here. But uh, <laughs> it's something that we've you know been exploring in different ways, right? It's like because it's all just about. I mean, it's just practicalities, right? We we right. it's it's a risk to release the source code now, especially before because you know you'd be competing with forks and all that kind of thing like the the paperwork mm-hmm. and licenses don't don't mean anything when you don't have lawyers to back them up so it's like who knows what would have happened right 
but now we're on a fairly good track. Um, and so we've actually been flirting with, um, you know, well, maybe, maybe we can release, you know, here's how the world generation works. And now you can look at the entire source code for it. Uh, like an entire source code dump is still dangerous for reasons. I mean, I, I hear people will just like compile them up and put them on other storefronts. And then the problem is yeah. not so much the sales or the lawyering and, and so forth. Cause they're just not going to, they're not going to like take an appreciable, it's just like piracy. They're not going to take in a, you know, money you weren't going to get anyway or blah, blah, blah. But like what happens is they don't update it. And then you've mm-hmm. got like a permanent source of like old bugs going mm-hmm. on your tracker right. or something. Right. This is all anecdotal. I mean, I don't know how much this is actually a problem, but like it's a big, I mean, it'd be a big deal if they ruin my bug tracker, right? And et cetera, sure. and et cetera, and et cetera, and et cetera. There's other reasons and so forth. But if you chop it up, make it so it doesn't mm-hmm. quite glue together and don't release everything, uh, but people can still learn a lot. I mean, I, just, I don't know. I just have these academic tendencies, I guess. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> like I, you know, I want to be able, I want, I want people to see how it works and be able to improve it and stuff. And so one thing that Ryan had written that I was curious about was, yeah, after, you know, 20 years of doing this, do you ever go back in and find some code that you wrote or, or a comment and just can't make heads or tails of it? Like, is, is all of this legible to you still what you did and why, or is some of it lost to the mists of time? I read a great quote from somebody, I don't know if it's a quote, but one of the comments said, there are three programmers working on the project. Torn from the past, <laughs> torn at the present, and torn from the future, and they all communicate. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how it is with everybody, right? Because you have you have comments in your code, and you sometimes you date them, especially if you're confused about something. And I have no. There are there there are a few things in there where I went and looked at this comment. This has happened to other people I've seen where you look at it. There was no comment because it was like old, old, old torn or whatever. And you read through this code to try and figure out how this one piece of map generation works or something. And I just had to put a comment at the top and stamped it like 2011. I don't know what the hell is going on here. And it's just, that's what it says. Mm-hmm. I spent, and then I, I write like, you know, I spent five hours, no more time to spend on this, but I don't know what's going on here now. And then it was a minor bug or something. So I just, you know, went on with my life. And then I went back in like 2016 or whatever, when something came up with it again, I saw that comment and then you're like, well, it's time to revisit this or whatever. But no. And then I had to leave a comment like 2016, still don't know what's going on here or whatever. And you're just having, it's like you're having a diary all over the place, like little diary snippets that you're like putting on the wall and connecting with red strings and things. And, and it's just, and they're, and they are connected because you can put tags on them and stuff and like, you're even just kind of searchable labels my planning file will just have this list of labels and then I can do like find in files and then it pops up 50 places where this, where this happens. And it's just all part of this kind of code organization stuff that I'm not, I'm not great at tools wise. Like I don't use a lot of the tools cause I, I just didn't work in those environments. I didn't work. I don't, I still don't program with other people generally. So mm. it's just like the, the benefit of those tools is, I mean, I'm sure it's there. It's just, a, it's just a big buy-in and then it's not as big a benefit because I'm not working with other people. So, but I, I have my own system. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine, you know, working on anything for 15, 20 years, like you would forget what you did. Yeah, no, it's really, I mean, it's why you have like patterns and doing things, the way that you name variables, the, the kind of, it's not just about clarity, but just being consistent. I mean, people use like I on for loops is the simplest example, probably that kind of thing. Right. But but there's a ton of things like that where like I know what SC1 and SC2 mean mm-hmm. in my game. It doesn't mean anything to anybody else. But if I see it, I know what it means. And I know what it means from 10 years ago because it's mm. the same thing. Um, it's right. been the same for 13 years. It's just the sub-material 
uh, <laughs> like, like his materials weren't good enough. So we had to have a sub material or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then another one, <laughs> it's like, now I know what that means. And I just use the same label for it and it's short. So it doesn't fill, fill the screen, but it's, it, yeah. Did it take a while to, uh, come up with those processes? Like, did you have a, a period of, of time where it's just like indecipherable? Yeah. I mean, well, it's kind of like crawling out of the muck, like some primordial thing, right? It's like, it got better and better and better and better and better. And now it feels okay. I don't know if, I mean, I've never had a code review either. So it's like, maybe it's not, <laughs> but, but it works. I mean, it's well, well sort of, I mean, it, it, as far as I can tell, I mean, I have kind of independently developed a lot of standard practices. One of one of the uh, the comments in the blog post that got the most comments on it was when you made the uh, item system polymorphic, and when everyone was like, "Yeah, preach it, brother." Yeah, you mean when I did or when I didn't? When I decided it was a bad idea. When, when you decided it was a bad <laughs> yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, no, it was just a thing. I mean, it was it's been a, it was been a thing, and and I was like, oh, I should try it. People seem to talk kindly about this object oriented stuff back in two thousand eight or whenever. And right. yeah, no, nah, just not not the thing to do if you want to. I mean, it, it might make sense in the in in a smaller context, mm-hmm. or if you're trying to make something pretty or elegant or whatever. But that's not this game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just not extensible. It's supposed to be built to be extensible, but it's not conceptually extensible the same way the concepts get frozen in time right, right? The, especially the basic right. concepts get frozen and i needed to unfreeze them when i wanted to add a wheelbarrow and a stepladder and all that kind of stuff it just where does that fit anymore and uh, you didn't want to have those be specific and you wanted them to share function sometimes and then people talk about the dreaded diamond or whatever and it's like my game would be like just the matrix of diamonds and things and i just don't want to do it that way so components make more sense i mean i know people i mean i remember i actually read the comments of that and people were like he's confused about what ecs is and i'm just like not me that's confused it's that game developers talk about ecs in two different ways there's entity component systems in a very kind of technical optimization way and then there's entity component systems that's just about breaking shit up inside your structures and being sensible about it and allocating when you need them and so forth. If somebody, you know, came to you and said, I've been really inspired by this project or, you know, just me personally, I felt drawn, you know, for a long time to game development. I want to create something. What advice would you give them? You know, like what about this um, sort of process do you think has maybe given you some insight into what works and what doesn't as an individual or yeah, like how people could approach this in terms of getting the most out of it you know, for their own creativity or their own career? Yeah, well, career is harder these days. I mean, I, I don't want to pretend like I know how to break in these days, right? I mean, it's so different now. There's hundreds of games being released every day. <laughs> and there's engines like Unity and Unreal and stuff that, like, I don't know which one to recommend or which one, you know, if I should recommend one and that kind of thing. And those are really, really important, right? I mean, that helps people get over that. I mean, I rolled rolled my own engines at first, and then I use SDL, which is, like, not nearly as encompassing as those other ones. It's not a great idea really in the end, because here I am doing this graphical update that's, I, like, I can't take things as far as I'd, I'd like to take them. So it's, I mean, that kind of advice is not, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not sure how to give, how to give that sort of advice, but yeah, but you have to, I mean, I'd say like make a short project. Don't work on your giant dream project first. Work on a short project. See if you like all the pieces of it. Do you like doing menus? Do you like polishing? Do you like making sure all the bugs are gone? Because people are not going to want to play the game if it's a broken mess. And then you may not like that part. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm not saying that in, you know, in relation to the graphical release and all the work I've been doing recently, but just, just in general, I mean, it is not the job that you think it is at first. If you're, if you're making games, 
for commercial release or even for like hobbyist release and want to grow a community. And that's another thing. So there's also this, this whole thing about like, you know, don't work completely in secret, create like your web presence. People have that kind of thing. There's all kinds of helpful social media for that. I was just whole thing to navigate, but just, just having like the, I mean, I wouldn't want to call it flypaper, but I don't have another metaphor right now, but just having something up to capture people <laughs> that come by and, you know, so they can talk to you about stuff. And so you can, you can kind of grow mm-hmm. your audience. I mean, our audience grew over six years I mean, we, we weren't like a sudden success. I put up the web page right. in 2000. I mean, you have to be cagey about certain things. But you also need to get good at managing your, a community. Like if you're mm. if you're going to be a small a developer that doesn't have a, you know a whole community management department and, right. and so forth, then you need to be good at that. You're going to need to wear all the hats, and you can mess it up. It's like yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, that that whole side, like all the the sort of soft skills and learning how to make a make a development log that is informative and and truthful, and don't try to blur what you're doing or, or try and fool people or anything like that. I mean, it always comes back to bite you. It's just not, right. never tried to do that kind of thing. Have you ever had a, an incident where you learned a lot of lessons from trying to manage a community? Like you need to know how to deal with that stuff if you're going to be a community manager or if you're going to run a forum. And we had to just learn as we went. It's not that hard because, I mean, you just try and be a decent human being can take you a long way. But and, but it's not just that, right? There's a lot of, and I'm not I'm not saying I'm an excellent forum moderator either because that's I mean, it's, it's a hard thing. But you're going to have to wade into a dispute, which may be a complete gray area thing, and try and figure it out. And mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's not what I was anticipating <laughs> when I was just like, here's my Armok game. <laughs> <laughs> what games do you like to play for pleasure outside of this? Do you play other video games for fun? Oh sure, most most recently. Well, I just I just got Neo too. I was gonna try. I mean, I, I was late on that one because I didn't have a computer that could play it, and so mm-hmm. that changed recently uh, as my computer suffered a casualty, and then I happened to get one that could play it, and I had fun with that. I had fun with all those Soulsy type games. So I was having I was having fun with that mm-hmm. one uh, last night. It took me a while to get awesome. through the first mission, but I did. And uh, yeah, no various other various other stuff though. I mean. Uh, I was into the whole kind of, I mean, I played the Dyson Sphere project was the, was the last one I put a lot of time into. Built a little band made out of, you know, a thousand components or whatever around a sun. That's fun, right? Building things around suns is fun. <laughs> Have you played any of the, uh, the games that Dwarf Fortress has inspired? It's hard. It's, it's, just, it's just a little weird. I mean, we've, we've looked at them, though. I mean, we've looked at uh, RimWorld and Nemoria and, um, and, well, I mean, we're, not, we're now on to like the, the kind of grandchildren and great grandchildren of the right. of the game. It's like like you know what percentage of base building is inspired by by the kind that kind of game, right? right. Or whatever. It's like what mm-hmm. is the the Fortnite Dwarf Fortress connection or whatever? Who knows, right? I don't know. There's so what many different. I brought. Yeah, there's so <laughs> many. I mean, I don't because I, I don't claim credit for any of that. Like because there's so many other basey building type things, and of course there were games about base building before Dwarf Fortress. But mm-hmm. we just we, we yeah we we kind of sparked a subgenre of things that then sparked some other things and you can tell because you see Dwarf Fortress Easter eggs all over the place. So usually at the end of every episode, I shout out the winner of a lifeboat badge, but today I thought it'd be appropriate. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to the question with the most votes that references Dwarf Fortress on Stack Overflow. So viewed. <laughs> 1.7 million times as recently as five days ago, but asked 12 years ago <laughs> how to print colored text to the terminal. So if you're curious about that, we've got an answer for you. 
And it says, yeah, you can find some of these bitmaps that you can use on the Dwarf Fortress wiki. So <laughs> helping people print color text to the terminal for 12 years now. It's, it's funny that. too, because it's like, it doesn't sound like a terminal. It sounds like they're using the, the cheating that I did, which is to just texture a quad. I mean, that's what a, the new terminal is a textured grid of quads with like code page 437 used as a texture. <laughs> Sadly. Little hacks will do. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Tarn, thank you so much for coming on. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us podcast at stackoverflow.com. And if you enjoy the show, leave us a rating and a review on the podcast platform of your choice. It really helps. Ryan? I am Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog and the newsletter here at Stack Overflow. I am secretly on Twitter at rthordonovan. And if you have a great idea for a blog post, you can email me at pitches at stackoverflow.com. Tarn? I'm Tarn Adams. You can find us at bay12games.com and uh, on Twitter at bay12games. Wonderful. Well, Tarn, thanks so much for coming on. If you haven't checked out Dwarf Fortress, now is your chance. And thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. 